know about y'all, um, but I just love coming to worship here. I just, I just love to sing with you guys. Um, I just love to sing with you guys, and it's great to see y'all here. And uh, I celebrate uh, with Victoria when she was up here, and I just want to repeat it to make sure you heard it, okay? The goodness of God, 3,700 people and 75 baptisms. Man, God is good, isn't he, huh? God is so good. So one of the things they teach us in, in preaching school is to follow up Easter with some sort of uh, teaching series that will kind of inspire and motivate people to come back. And uh, I've always believed that. I believe that wholeheartedly. I love Easter. I love what God does in Easter. Um, he blessed so many churches in our area. I'm, I love all of that. But what matters is who's back the next week. That's what really matters. And so they teach us to kind of think through that and uh, come back with a teaching series that will kind of garner interest in people, okay? And so people will say, man, I want to come back and I want to, I want to hear that. So um, I play through titles every year, you know, see if some of these will work. So um, the temperature of hell, what do you think? Probably isn't going to work, is it, huh? Nobody's coming back for that. God wants your money. That's probably not going to get anybody showing up. How to read the Bible for two hours every day. Ain't nobody got time for that, do they, huh? So we kind of got to think through, you know, what can you, what can you bring up that will really get um, some attention? And people will say, man, I want to be a part of that. And so since Easter ended on uh, last Sunday, and when our last service was over with, uh, this is what I've been thinking about parenting. Because last August, when we kind of worked through this and kind of thought through what could we do that just kind of garners that interest, something that everybody can relate to, the thing that just kept coming back over and over with this idea about, about parenting. And I know that there are some people in the room right now that you hear that and you think, dude, my days are over with that. Praise Jesus, okay? Some of y'all y'all thinking that. But what you're gonna find out over the next month is that job is never over, ever. And you're gonna find out that as we kind of unfold it, you're gonna find out that it applies to all people in all places, at all times, in all ages. And so, so last Sunday, when I got home, my mind is going there about parenting and how we're going to do that and how we're going to do it. And then, and then, um, Monday morning happened in downtown Louisville. And I think that it is not only needed but appropriate for me to verbalize some thoughts about that because all of our minds are probably still, still there. And I, I want to say, first of all, on behalf of our church, that we here at Eastside Christian Church extend the deepest sympathy we have to those who were directly affected by this horrible tragedy. Uh, the heart of Eastside Christian Church is with those families. There are people in our church who knew some of those people in the bank, who knew some of those people who were shot, who, who knew some of those people who died and lost their lives that day. We, we knew those people. And our staff have prayed every morning since Monday morning, including today, that God could somehow wrap some comfort around some people and hold them up in unthinkable circumstances. 
And I just think it's important that we, we mention that and we talk about it. I think it's a stark reminder of the importance of holding on to your fork, isn't it? Huh? Isn't it? This world is not our home. This world's not our home. There's something far greater awaiting those of us who've embraced Jesus. And every time tragedy or hardship hits, we talked about that all last weekend, you hold on to the fork because you know something is better. Something is better. The best is yet to come. I know if you ever realize it, but the last verse in the Bible says this, come Lord Jesus. And last Monday, I'd have been okay with that. How about you? Okay. But I think one of the things that I kind of want to throw out, and you're going to see the connection about that a little bit later, is I, I want to talk a little bit about the fix of all this, because it wasn't many hours after we heard the news of what happened that people started taking sides and shouting in megaphones about what the solution is to fix this so this doesn't happen again. And I, I think I'm compelled to maybe throw some things out about that. Uh, on behalf of our church, and I understand my role as somewhat of a spokesman for our church, and I, I think it's important for us to kind of play with that for just a couple of minutes here. I, I want to remind you when you're trying to think through your view on where you're at and what the solution is, I, I want to encourage you to think about some things. I want you to understand this. Number one, the answer is complicated. I mean, if it's easy, we'd have done figure this out. And this is going to take intelligent, level-headed, fair-minded people to develop a solution. And that's what my prayer has been. God, give us those people who can do that. Give us those people. I think another important reality is that it's comprehensive. And what I mean by that is there's not one single step that, hey, if we just do that, Man, it's, it's okay, and everything's going to be all right. That is insane to think something like that. The reality is that it's going to require a lot of different initiatives in a lot of different areas from a lot of different people all coming together in harmony with the goal of building a society of peace. There is not just one answer to this thing. That, that, is, that is asinine to think that. And maybe the most important thing to say is that it is compelling. And that's what I want you to kind of get heavy with a little bit right now. We cannot ignore this anymore. We just can't. We can't stick our head in the sand and hope that it's going to go away because it's not going to go away. It's not going to go away. Dr. Jason Smith from UofL Hospital was quoted many times in the news this week. You probably heard him on a number of occasions. And I'm going to paraphrase one of the wisest things I think he said all week and one of the wisest things I think I heard anybody say. He said, I'm not a doctor, I don't know what the, or I'm a doctor, I don't know what the answer is, but I do know what the answer is not. Doing nothing isn't working. we got to figure this out. And so with all of that said and all of this going on last Monday here, we find ourselves right now as a church on the front side of what I am proposing to be a biblical study on parenting. And so that's kind of where we're at as a church this last week, that we're going to jump into that. And as a church, we're going we're gonna to really concentrate on this topic of parenting. And then Monday happens and all this stuff and I came about this close, I came about this close to delaying that and let's just, as a church, concentrate on what the Bible says about tragedy. And I came really close to doing that. 
as I thought about it, I began to realize that if we took all of the wisdom of the Bible, if we took everything that the Bible talks about, and if we could just kind of wad it all up into one thing and kind of place it on a table and kind of look at the core of some of the things that the Bible teaches, one of the things that we would find out is that throughout the teaching of the Bible, from cover to cover, that God has designed an institution. And when that institution functions properly, it enables the society in which that society lives to operate at maximum efficiency, at maximum optimum existence. That God has already put an institution together that can help fix it. And that institution is called the home. And when the home works, then a lot of this stuff works. And the reality is, is what you and I are finding out in the world that we live in, this is what we're finding out. When the home breaks down, the problems of society brew up. And as I realized that, and that kind of got heavy with me, I realized that there's probably not a more opportune time ever to talk about parenting than this week. And again, the issue is comprehensive. This won't fix everything, but this is a critical part of the fix of the world in which you and I live in. And so I want to give you a little preview of where we're going to go over the next four weeks when I decided, and I hope it was sensitive, to stay with our plan because I think the things we're going to talk about in the next four weeks are the things that we need to hear and we need to learn. And so I want to show you what we're going to do over the next four weeks, and then we're going to kind of dive in it a little bit today. Um, Some of you, again, might think that this really doesn't apply to you because you don't have kids in the home. Maybe you never had children, or maybe your children are gone. And I I want you to know that what we're going to talk about is not necessarily what parents do, but what society does. And so I, I, I need you to know that uncles and aunts and grandparents and teachers and coaches and youth leaders have been the secret sauce for millions of children through the years. And so what I'm going to talk about is not just what affects parents, but what affects all of us. And uh, I I don't know where you're at on this. I'm going to try my very best not to be political for a whole month about this. But this whole thing about it, it takes a village to raise a child. Let me tell you something. I am not responsible for raising your child. You are. You are. But our society is responsible to uphold the values that turn children into responsible adults. And so in a sense, it does take a village, but it does not dismiss parental responsibility. And so regardless of what age you are or what age of your kids or the, the young people that are around you, uh, the need for us to get this right, man, is just so, so important. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at parenting from four different stages, and we're going to take a week apiece on these. Let's look at them. We're going to start today with the little years, when they're little, 
And this is what parents say when they're little. Yikes. Uh, that's the preschool years. You know, you bring the baby home from the hospital, and then they advance to the terrible twos, right? Okay? And some of ours started at the terrible ones, and they kept going to the terrible threes and terrible fours, right? Okay? Let me tell you this, because I know this. If you don't get this right, you're going to be dealing with the terrible 32s and the terrible 42s, right? Right? Okay. That's, that's critical. Next week, we're going to look at the student years, and when our kids get into school, we're yelling, help, help us with that, because now our kids are exposed to other people and other opportunities and other, other ways of thinking, and it is critically important that parents know what they're supposed to do during that period of time. In our third week, we're going to talk about the young adult years, and that's when they start leaving our house, and they're young adults, and they're getting off. And if you've ever, ever been a part of that, and your kids leave the, the house, this is a painful thing. No, no, I didn't want that to happen. And, uh, and I know some of you are saying, dude, that wasn't my experience. I was saying, go, go. I've been saying go for a long time, but, but what do you do about that? This month, my children are 37, 33, and 30, which is remarkable since I'm still in my 40s, but they are, they are in their 30s, and uh, Susan and I are as much parents to them today as we were when we brought them home as a baby from the hospital. It's still a very real uh, generation of parenting. And then we're going to close it out with the senior adult years where those who are in this can only say ouch with pain in the heart and tears on the eyes because that's when the stage uh, turns the tables and now the children are caring for their parents. I'm gonna tell you something about this. Nobody got us ready for that. Nobody got us ready for that. You learn on the job. And so that's gonna be a week you wanna make sure that you're here. So we're going to deal with this over the next uh, four weeks, and it's under the umbrella, the idea is that this is part of a critical piece of the puzzle about how to see our society maybe improving rather than continuing to go down. And so we get started with the little years. We talked today about the babies, the rugrats, um, little Miss Independent, Mr. Know-it-all, okay? And one of the things that you'll notice when we go through this series, and, and this is really important that you understand this, I'm really passionate about this, is what this will not be is like Dr. Spock telling you from a psychological standpoint and different things like here's what you do at these levels and here's how to work those particular, this is not a psychology lesson, this is not, this is not some societal approach to parenting. You can get all that stuff, that's all available for you uh, online today. You can find all the material and literature you want for parenting skills and I encourage you to hunt that down and use it. Um, for example, in the, in the little section, when the kids are little, here's the two greatest needs that they have. No matter who the kid is, these are the two greatest needs. I saw some babies here today and some little kids running in, and those two kids have two basic needs, unconditional love and security. And you can find material about how to do all that, but that's not what we're going to do. For four weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to study biblical concepts about parenting. 
So what did God say about this particular stage of life? What did he say in his word? And it's not that that other stuff is not important. It is important, but that's not our focus. Our focus does the word of God help me raise little kids? And the answer to that is yes. Does God have something to say about a society that has little children in it. And you're gonna find out today that God has a major, major thing to say. And it cannot be ignored, particularly by the people of God. Now, this one thing that I want you to see as we jump into this is from one of the most familiar verses in the Bible when it comes to parenting. You probably have heard it before from Proverbs chapter 22, verse six. And uh, this is from the New International Version of the Bible that we normally use here. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. And most of us in this room have heard that, have read that in our Bible. Here's a little trick that's kind of good for you if you're ever zeroing in on one verse is look at how other versions of the Bible translated it. And nowadays that stuff is so easy to find online, you can find all kinds of different versions. And so I just wanna show you some different translations, different versions of this verse, and some things that kinda stand out in it. Let's go to this next one that I wanna show you. It's from what's called the Contemporary English Version. And notice what it says. Teach your children right from wrong. And when they are grown, they will still do right. And I, know, I love the way this version focuses on the aspect of right and wrong. And you're gonna, you're gonna find out in the next several minutes that is a big, big, big deal with little kids. Let me show you another version of the Bible. This is the New Revised Standard Version. Train children in the right way, and when old, they will not stray. And so if you're in this room right now and you have children that are out of your house and you raised your children and now they're out doing their own thing, the number one thing that you have in your heart, the number one thing is that they carry on the values that you invested your life trying to build in them. That's what you want. You don't want them to leave your house and just kind of go totally off the rails of everything that you stand for. You want them to hold on to those values. That's a beautiful way to translate that verse. Let me show you one more that I thought was really interesting. It comes from the Living Bible, which is a fascinating uh, version of the Bible to read. And notice how they said, they said, teach a child to choose the right path, and when he is older, he will remain on it. And I love this way that they, start, they talked about it. It wasn't just teach kids uh, what is the path to live on. What they said is to teach your children to know how to choose that. That's a powerful, powerful way to look at that version. So regardless of what verse you choose, what version that you look at, I wanna dive down into that verse. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna do kind of a Bible study just on Proverbs 22.6. We're just gonna zero right there and we're gonna dive in there of how it deals with little children in our house. Uh, this is a proverb. And a proverb is a statement of wisdom. It is a statement of truth. It is a saying of something that is true and wise. That's what a proverb is. 
And this proverb was written by Solomon, who the Bible tells us was the wisest person ever to live. The Bible says that about him. The Bible says that Solomon wrote more than 3,000 Proverbs, and many of those are in the book of Proverbs in your Bible. And so if you grabbed your Bible and you found the book of Proverbs, and you went to chapter 10, and chapter 10 begins the listing of Solomon's Proverbs. And it goes from chapter 10 through chapter 22. And there are 375 Proverbs, statements of truth, that Solomon wrote. He wrote 3,000 of them, 375 of them are recorded for us in the Bible. And here's what I want you to know about Proverbs. It's very critically important, particularly in this one, is most Proverbs are observations. That's what they are. And this wisest person in the world said, well, as I have observed it, here's what I've learned. And he writes, such and such. It's just things that he has noticed and learned and observed in his life. And almost all Proverbs fall into that. They are observations of truth. Here, here's an example of one from chapter 16. You may have heard this one before. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And so as Solomon said in this, he said, hey, here's my observation. As I've watched things and watched people, when people get arrogant and really proud of themselves, my observation is that it's not long that they take a tumble. That's what I'm observing. That's an observation, okay? Have you ever seen an athlete who said, man, I'm the greatest in the world, and I can beat that, and what happens? It's not long that they lose. And that's what Solomon said. He said, this is what I'm observing. And when you get arrogant, you're probably gonna fall before too long. So all the Proverbs fit under that, and the reason that I'm mentioning that, and I want you to hear this, this is one of the most powerful things that I have in all my notes, is when you come to Proverbs 22, verse six, it is not an observation. This is really important to hear this. Not only for us as a society that we wanna raise up children right, but if you have a little child in your home, you have to hear this. That Solomon got out of the norm in verse six, chapter 22, over things that he observed in life, and he came to this verse, and this verse is an imperative command. That's radically important. And you may never know that when you're just reading through the Proverbs, come 22, verse six, oh yeah, I've heard that, train a child away, yeah, I know about that. But what's happening in this verse is Solomon says, now I'm telling you something. You have got to do this. This is not an option, this is an absolute non-negotiable. You have got to make this happen. And so as a society, what we are about to unfold in this verse cannot, under any circumstances, be ignored. And if you want to wonder why our world has lost its mind and why we hear things that are unthinkable 
and why people are standing up and saying things that we never in a million years thought we'd hear anybody ever say that. You want to know why all of that's happening in the world in which we live? It's because we ignore chapter 22, verse 6. He said, this is an imperative. This is a command. And so what is it? What is the one non-negotiable thing that we have to do with children? What is it? Not observation, command. And it's this right here. Train them in the way. You have to do that. And not only as we as a society, but particularly if you're a young family, you have to do this. Train them in the way. If you don't do this, and if we don't do this, we will pay consequences that are unthinkable. And that's exactly what's happening. Now, when you look at that, it's easy just to say that and we move on, but you kinda gotta dive into this thing and take some pieces of meat out of this because it's pretty heavy and there's some things in it that we've kind of got to unearth a little bit, and I want to kind of just kind of break down that phrase, uh, train them in the way. So let me show you some things that are important. I want to talk to you first about the word dedication. You see that word train? And some versions use teach, and so you might have noticed that when we looked at that. Some said train the children, some said teach the children. There are some versions that say dedicate the children. And the Hebrew word that is used by Solomon is actually the same word that they used in Old Testament societies when they dedicated things. Maybe they dedicated a building or maybe they dedicated a person for something. And the idea of dedication is almost where I'm gonna draw a line in the sand and I'm gonna say from this point on, this is where we're at. This is what we're doing. That's what dedication means. And so when you dedicate a building, let's say this building was brand new and we were dedicating it to the, the work of God. We're drawing a line in our sand. We're saying from this day on, this is all this building is about. That's dedication. Some of y'all have dedicated your children in, in church. We do that every January with babies who were born the previous year. And so parents stand up here and they dedicate their child. And what they're doing is they're saying, from this point on, this is the life we'll give that child. And so what, what Solomon does with this word here, and I don't have the time to get into it because it will take too much time, and also to be honest with you, it is so detailed, I don't know that I'm able really to explain it because I don't understand the, the ins and outs of it enough to explain it, so you just gotta take my, my word for this. What Solomon does with this word dedicate is ha it has a flavor on it about young children. In other words, the sooner you do what we're gonna talk about in a minute, the better that's gonna be. So in other words, there are things that you can teach a two-year-old. But if you don't teach that two-year-old that and you wait until they're 12 to teach them, it's too late. 
And so Solomon kind of recognizes that, and when he talks about this, train them in the way, what he's saying is, as soon as you can do this, the earliest, the better. Dedicated, from now on, this is what we do. Now, let me take another bite of the meatiness of this, and let's talk about the idea of the way. And everything that I talk about in this message This is the heartbeat. Because what Solomon does is he says, as soon as you can, as early as you can, draw a line in the sand and and teach, train, dedicate your children about the way, the way. The word there literally means a road, a path. And what he's saying is, that we build a society where we teach our young children that this is the road that you walk on. This is it, right here. That's the way, that's the road. Now, there are some people, and unfortunately I would tell you that there are some Bible scholars who even take this route, and unfortunately they are incredibly wrong about this, but a lot of people have done this unknowingly, and I, I don't want to ruffle feathers here. That's not true. <laughs> I don't know where, I want to ruffle feathers on this, but there's people in the room that you're, you're going to find out that you've taken an understanding of the way that is inaccurate. Because some people look at it this way, that you learn your, your children, you, you watch them and you find out that your kids tend to have leanings. They tend to have propensities towards certain things. And so maybe you, you look at your kids and say, man, that kid has an unbelievable athletic ability. Or you, you find somebody else and you look at your kid and you say, oh, they just have an understanding of the arts. They can sing unbelievable or there's some kind of skill set that you notice that your kids have. And some people look at this and say, what, what we're talking about here is that parents find out what your kids are kind of really good at and where they kind of lean and that's kind of their way and as parents help them, help them hone that, help them build that, because that's who they are. Help them make that happen. And I want you to know that there's, there's nothing wrong with that at all. I think, I think that's a great thing to do, to notice what, what do your kids have going for them that, that you can help with that. And we live in a society today that is really focusing on that angle more than we've ever seen in all of American society. We have parents who are sacrificially giving up enormous amounts of resources to give their children the best chance at whatever those kids are interested to do. And that's, that looks great on the surface, that's great. But everyone in this room knows the tendency of that becoming excessive. And, and if you're not wise enough to notice that in your own home, you will pay an enormous price for that someday. Here's what I wanna say. That is not what Solomon's talking about. 
That's not even in his mind. That's not in his thought pattern at all. And I want you to hear this. What Solomon is talking about is the road, the path, the way that we teach children is that they understand the difference between right and wrong. That these are the things that are right in life and these are the things that are wrong in life. And that's the way, that's the path, that's the road that children have to learn as early as they possibly can learn. So I don't think it's a mistake that this proverb in chapter 22, six is almost at the very end of the 375 proverbs that he wrote. And those proverbs are about ethical and moral observations. And it's almost like Solomon writes all these things about what, what is right and what is wrong and how you live the right way and how you avoid the wrong way. And at the end of all of that, he says, teach that to your children. The way is this is the right way to live and this is the wrong way to live. You see, it comes back to reminding almost when Solomon wrote this about the basic daily Hebrew verse that every Jewish child was taught as soon as they could speak and they prayed it every day. Every Jewish home did that. It was called the Shema from Deuteronomy. Let's look at it real quick. You probably heard it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength. Notice where it goes from there. These commandments that I give you today, commandments that are about moral, ethical living, those commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Everybody read this with me. Impress them on your children. Now everybody come and, and catch me on this. Don't miss me. If you miss this, you missed everything I worked all week to say, okay? Don't miss me on this. This is exactly opposite what our world is presently telling our children to pursue. It's the opposite of what they're hearing. What they're hearing in our world right now in a spirit of freedom and individualism, we're telling our children, you choose what's right. You choose what's wrong. And whatever you choose for you, go at it. And if you confront it, they'll cancel you immediately. This proverb does not say, teach them their way. It says, teach them the way. And if we don't stop teaching our children their way, Monday mornings are never going to stop, ever. The ultimate health of a human society is when ethical and moral absolute truths are taught and expected as early as possible. And when they're taught in their home, when they're taught in the school, when they're taught on the ball field, when they're taught at work, there are right ways and wrong ways. And as soon as we do that, we start to improve. 
Now let me show you one final aspect of digging into the meat of this. And that is that the way has to be backed up with consequences. And when you read through the Proverbs, you find that the Proverbs talk often about positive reinforcements and negative reinforcements. Here, here's, a, here's a little trick for you. Particularly if you're, if you're married and you have young children, but even if you're just a single parent. Most people lean one way or the other. You tend to offer positive reinforcement when your kid does something great, awesome, and you do something for them, or you tend to lean toward when they do something wrong and you bring negative reinforcement. You probably lean one way or the other, okay? So whatever way you lean, try to focus on the other way so that you can be balanced. I remember when Susan and I were brand new parents. We went to a parenting conference that was put on by our church, and I can remember today the title of the conference, and it was called Catch Em Being Good. Catch Em Being Good. And we had already learned in our household that my tendency was to provide negative reinforcement when they got off the road. And my wife's tendency was to provide positive reinforcement. And so we went to this conference and the whole time this guy's talking about positive reinforcement and the whole time she's going, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. And so wherever you tend to lean, make sure that you pay attention to the other side of that so that you can try to be balanced with that. That's very important. But at the same time, there is power in negative consequences. There are power. The Proverbs talk about the rod of discipline. Now, that's a generational thing. If you're my age, brother, you knew the rod of discipline like your best friend, okay? It happened all the time. And I, I think we take too literal of an interpretation about that. God's not telling us to beat our children. That's, that's not what he's saying. He's talking about appropriate penalties when you choose what's wrong. The Bible says that's very, very important to do that. And I'm telling you, we're living in a world today that when people choose what's wrong, they suffer no consequences. You've heard me read before the results of a study called the Minnesota Crime Commission. The state of Minnesota wanted to know why some kids turn out to be hoodlums. And so they threw a lot of tax money, and they came up with a 77-page report. You can go find it and read it if you want. Most of it's boring. There is a conclusion in it that I've read before. I want to read again because it, it applies here. And here's what the state of Minnesota found out in this massive study. Let me read it verbatim. Every baby starts life as a little savage. He is... He is completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it. His bottle, his mother's attention, his playmate's toys, his uncle's watch, or whatever. Deny him these one time, and he will seethe with rage and aggressiveness, which would be murderous were he not so helpless. He is dirty he has no morals, no knowledge, no skills. This means that all children, not just certain children, but all children are born delinquent. 
and if permitted to continue in their self-centered world of infancy, given free reign to their impulsive actions to dissatisfy every want, every child will grow up to be a criminal, a thief, a killer, or a rapist. Man, I want to go have some more kids after you hear that, don't you? Now listen to this, because this will knock your socks off. Listen to this. That was written in 1926. And some of the reason we have craziness going on in our world a hundred years later is because we didn't pay attention to that report. And that's a biblical concept. Parents, it is your responsibility as early as possible to teach. This is the way. This is right, and that's wrong. And when you do it right, then we're gonna affirm that. And when you do it wrong, you're gonna pay a consequence from that. And that is your God-given imperative responsibility. And it's our job as a society to back that up. Now, there's something important to know about a Proverbs here. We're almost done, so hang with me here. And I put this up here because I want this to stick with you. I want you to see this. A proverb is not a promise. A proverb is a prognosis. There's a big difference between the two. A promise means this will happen. A prognosis means this is the likely outcome. And Proverbs are not promises. Proverbs are likely outcome. And so Solomon is saying, if you do what we've talked about, if you do this, it is far more likely than not that your child is gonna stay on the right path when they're older. It's probably gonna happen that way. And if you don't do this, if you ignore what we're talking about, chances are more likely than not your child's gonna abandon that path as soon as they get out of your house. Are there exceptions to any of that? Of course there are exceptions, but they are rare. The prognosis is that if you do what God has asked you to do, has commanded you to do, the likelihood is when your kids get on in life and they're doing their own thing, they're gonna be on the same path that you set for them. And that's what everybody in this room wants. I, uh, I observed that recently. I thought it was kind of interesting that it came up while I was kind of thinking through some of this stuff. I used to be the pastor of a church in Illinois, um, a beautiful, wonderful, wonderful church, incredible people. It's a smaller church, 200 people or so. And the cool thing about that church is they had their own school. They had their own Christian school that they housed. And when I was there, it was kindergarten through eighth grade. And so during the week, we had our Christian school there. Just like we have Christian Academy here, we had a Beardstown Christian Academy there. And uh, at that point in my life, I didn't have any kids. Uh, Susan and I hadn't had children yet. And so I didn't know anything about raising kids. And I'm the pastor of this church that has all these kids every day during the week. The principal uh, came to get me one day. And um, the principal of the school, some of you here know him. Uh, if you're one of my golfing buddies, you probably have golfed with one of my golfing buddies. His name is Clint Palmer and one of my best friends in the world. And uh, Clint was the youth minister and the principal of the school, okay? And so I hadn't been there very long as the pastor. 
And uh, Clint came to get me one day in the middle of the week, and he said, hey, I need you to come with me. And uh, he said, I need you to help me out with something. So we went in his principal's office, and little Timmy was there. And Timmy was going to get in trouble. And uh, Clint told me that um, I'm going to paddle Timmy, and i got to have a witness for that. Now, some of y'all going, <gasps> what? We did that back in those days. And so they had, uh, parents had a signed form um, that if uh, your child gets in trouble, you give us permission to appropriately paddle your child. And so uh, little Timmy's uh, mom had <laughs> threw him under the bus and signed the form. And so Timmy did something wrong. And so Clint brings me in and says, we gotta have a witness. So I just need you to sit in that chair. Don't say a word. Just sit there and watch. And you can sign a paper afterwards that I didn't do anything uh, excessive or anything. So Clint looks at Timmy and he tells little Timmy what he did wrong. I can't remember what it was. And Timmy kind of admitted, yeah, that's what I did. And uh, Mr. Palmer said, now, Timmy, I got, I got to paddle you. And Timmy's lip starts, you know, quivering. And he said, but that's part of the deal. You got to get, you got to get paddled. And so he said, Timmy, why don't you stand up? Why don't you bend over the desk? And, and so Clint grabbed his paddle and he paddled uh, kind of a soft tap right on the backside of Timmy, and Timmy started wailing. Man, he was crying his eyes out. He's probably, I don't know, eight years old or something, crying his eyes out. And uh, Clint sits him down in the chair, and he looks at me, and he goes, come with me. And we walked out of the office, and he shut the door. And um, I'd never seen anything like that, and I was mad at Clint. I had, I had fallen in love with Timmy, and I looked at Clint and said, I'm gonna call the cops on you. You're the worst person I've ever seen. And I'm just going off on him. He said, just calm down, just calm down. And I'm just fired up about it. And he said, just wait a few minutes, just wait a few minutes. And then finally, he said, well, let's go back in. And uh, he told me, now sit back in your chair, just don't say nothing, just be there, your witness. And he walked in, and Timmy's still sobbing, and Clint picked him up. And Clint sat down in his chair, and he, he sat Timmy right on his, on his uh, lap, and he hugged him, and he rubbed his back until Timmy stopped crying and, you know, kind of got the sniffles and calmed him down. He said, Timmy, you know I love you so much. And I'm so proud of you. You do so many things here that are good. And you're a great kid. And you're going to learn. And you're going to be better and better. And after five, ten minutes of that, Timmy was smiling again. And he was ready. And I could see him walking out of the office going, I'll be better, Mr. Palmer. I'll be better, Mr. Palmer. Now today, which is probably 35 years later, I can pick up my phone and a lot of those Timmies are now adults and they got their own families and I can see what they're doing in their life and almost all of them are still on the way. They're still on the way. We have to do this in a world that is rejecting it Christian people have to rise up and dedicate your children on the way not their way the way and God says the likelihood is that's going to help our world a whole lot Father, I thank you for um, the truths that you teach us in your word.
Um, God, it, it just seems the older I get, the more your truths are just foreign to the world that I'm living in. Will you help us as your people to stay true? Even though others may think we are outdated and help us to stay true. And I pray that you raise up young children in this church, from families in this church, who will become great women and great men, who will bless this world. Please do that work among us, Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.